Welcome to the Hidden Wire Podcast, episode 898, my interview with Massimo Piglucci. We're discussing how to be a stoic. Enjoy. Hey, Massimo, how are you going? I'm okay, how about you? I'm great, mate. Thank you for uh, coming on the show. Absolutely, my pleasure. Great to have you here. I, um, I might pronounce your name wrong, Massimo, so rather than me do that, um, how about you pronounce your name for us? Massimo Piglucci. Once more, please. Piliucci. The G is basically silent. Piliucci. Yes, that's right. Piliucci. Okay, great. Okay, I think I've got that. Massimo Piliucci, where are you uh, located, mate? I'm in uh, New York City. Okay. And uh, what time of the day? We're coming into the evening, I assume, there. Uh, yeah, it's about 4.30 in the afternoon. Okay, and what do you typically do on a, on a what is it, a Thursday afternoon? What do you normally do? Uh, well, I'm just, I was just reading uh, in preparation for my fall course that I need to teach, which is uh, philosophy and science fiction. Okay, very cool. So you've got a, um, a bit of a diversified sort of background and what you do, so both philosophy and science, is that right? Yeah, that's correct. My first uh, career was in uh, science, in evolutionary biology, to be uh, specific, and then uh, at some point about a decade ago, I studied uh, reorienting myself. I went back to uh, graduate school, I got my PhD in philosophy, and now I do philosophy of science. Okay, so what, what was the reason for the transition? Just a, a different sort of passion or alignment or just to uh, re, reinvigorate life? Yeah, let's say a constructive midlife crisis. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> um, look, I'm, I'm interested in, in, in both the topics, and certainly I, I know you've got a new book coming out, so let's talk about that uh, in this episode. Sure. Um, and we are recording right now. So for the audience listening, the book is How to Be a Stoic uh, Using Ancient Philosophy to Live a Modern Life. And certainly I haven't really uh, had anyone on the show before, Massimo, to talk about um, stoicism. And it's it's a topic that I'm probably a bit of an amateur in, but I certainly do get a lot of value out of it. I've, I've read a, a, a few books and, and certainly... Uh, love the philosophy. I think it's it's great, and it's got a lot of practical uh, applications to really helping me, you know, figure out life and and try and create some more meaning and some some deeper happiness to the life that I have. And um, that's really been my commitment over the last several years, and, and the reason why this show exists. Uh, and stoicism has certainly been a part of that. But I, I feel there's like a bit of a stigma around stoicism, and I never really realised it myself because I'm a little bit ignorant in the sense. But um, <laughs> what is the stigma, stigma around stoicism? I only heard it the other day and I thought, really? Um, you know, philosophy yeah. sounds interesting to me and, and I couldn't really understand why um, people right. would have this sort of negative connotation with stoicism. Can you explain that for us? Uh, sure, yeah. It, there's a couple of common misconceptions about stoicism and, and that's, I think, why a good number of people uh, are either skeptical or sometimes even downright hostile uh, to it, which is kind of surprising. Yeah. Uh, one misconception is that stoicism is about suppressing emotion. Uh, you know, it's it's like um, developing your inner Mr. Spock from Star Trek, let's say. Okay. Um, and that is simply not the case. Uh, the Stoics, in fact, refer to their philosophy as a philosophy of love and concern about humanity. So that that doesn't sound to me like somebody who wants to suppress their their, their emotions. What is the case? I mean, the, the, the misconception originates from uh, the idea that the Stoics were, were actually trying to reorient their emotional spectrum. They were trying to get away from negative and destructive emotions such as fear and hatred uh, and, and anger 
and and move themselves toward constructive or positive emotions such as love and concern and a sense of justice uh, and and sort of a, a, a even in, even in some sense a sort of an aesthetic sense of admiration for the for the cosmos you know a sense of awe. So I think that's where it comes from. And, and if you just take the first part, it's like, oh, it's about suppressing emotions, then then you begin to describe Stoics as sort of like, you know, psychopaths basically going around. Hard asses um, with no emotions. Very, yeah. Mm. yeah. Yeah. So so that would be that. That's, I think, one one reason for the misconception. The other one is that the common modern word stoic with a little, with a you know small s as opposed to the capital S, that is the way you should spell the philosophy, um, is associated with you know the British attitude of going out, uh, going around life with a stiff upper lip, you know that sort of stuff. Um, and so you know, you take a, you take what the universe throws at you and that's it, and you don't complain about it. Um, there, there is some truth in it, but again, it's kind of a it's a distortion of the of the actual Stoic idea. So it is true that Stoicism is, uh, to some extent, a philosophy of endurance. Um, you know, it, it does teach you to uh, make a fundamental distinction, which is called the dichotomy of control, between things that you can control and things you cannot control. Yeah. And the, the things you can control, by all means, you should focus all your energy, you know, both emotional and, and otherwise, and your, your resources on. But the things you cannot control, the things you have absolutely no effect on, then you should just let them go because, the, you know, what's the point yeah, of, yeah. Of, of trying to do, to do things that, are, that you cannot actually do, right? So that gets misunderstood as in just, oh, well, you have to just tough it up and, and take it and because life is, is not going to change. That turns... Uh, stoicism into a quietist philosophy, you know, a philosophy of resignation. And again, that's certainly not the case. Um, if you look at the biographies of some of the ancient Stoics, you clearly get the sense that they were definitely not the kinds of people that would sort of uh, take life as it, as it, as it comes. Uh, you know, one of the most famous philosophers, Stoic philosophers, was Epictetus, who started out his life as a slave and then he managed to uh, become free uh, and, and a Roman citizen, and then eventually to establish one of the most uh, uh, famous and, and successful schools in ancient times. So that's this is definitely not somebody who just said, well, you know, I was born slave, that's it, done. Um, another famous Stoic is Marcus Aurelius, who was a Roman emperor. You know, he wrote his famous Meditations, which is a book that is still read by millions of people today, uh, on the campaign trail against the Marcomanni, which were a tribe in, in along the German frontier. So basically he was at war on the frontier of the empire for like eight years or ten years or something like that. He also had to deal with uh, the effects of a famine in, in Rome that that, uh, that struck the Roman Empire and that killed something like five million people. So these were definitely not people who laid down and just said, well, you know, it is so what it is. just accepted the world as yeah, it is. Yeah, exactly. I mean, they, they were doing their best, but at the same time, they were always remembering, you know, reminding to, to themselves that, you know, your best sometimes succeeds and sometimes it doesn't. And if it doesn't, you just have to accept with equanimity, uh, you know, because what are you going to do? Get upset at your failure? What What's that going to do? And that's not going to yeah. be helpful. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, it's certainly uh, interesting. And I, th- I think that's a co- the common thing with a lot of things, isn't it, really? It's just a misunderstanding of, of um, the subject that we may be talking about that causes uh, the stigma around certain things um, to be to be liked or hated. Um, Massimo, I've got a bit of a fuzz coming through on my end. I don't know if you can hear that in your in your recording, but is, is there a fan on or something there in the background? Or 
you know what? Uh, I actually don't hear it, but it's probably the fact that I'm in a room with um, artificial lighting and that some people can hear that uh, that thing in the background. Oh, there you uh, go. But unfortunately, I can't do anything about it. So. No worries, no worries. It's, it's not terrible. I just noticed it, okay. so I just thought I'd ask because sometimes right. I have the fan on in my room. Um, uh, let me see if actually I, I can put on some uh, earphones. Maybe that's going to improve. Hold on a second. Yeah, how is that? Oh, look, I can still still hear it um, quite clearly you can still here. Still hear? Okay. Um, let's, right. let's see how we go. You got the headphones okay. on. Okay. All right. Yep. Um, okay, so look, going back to stoicism there, um, interesting, interesting subject, and there's certainly a few things you just touched on in, in talking about those, um, the stigmas around stoicism, you know, suppressing emotions, um, certainly, you know, looking at, at more favorable perspectives rather than the things that perhaps are unfavorable to allowing us to better deal with situations in our life, and certainly dealing with things that are in our control and without our control, and certainly one thing I'm aware of is that, um, you know, just in a practice of an awareness as well, is that it's not about um, giving up or or will um, and ambition in life, um, and and just being really relaxed or lethargic about life, um, but rather just having, um, I guess, more constructive, purposeful approach to your ambitions without getting wound up in all the all the pressures and stress that um, may may limit um, your ability to obtain real uh, progress. Yeah, in a sense, you're right. So I think we need to make a distinction there between uh, stoicism as a philosophy of life uh, and sort of stoic techniques to improve life in general, right? So so there's a number of authors such as uh, Ryan Holiday, for instance, uh, who is the author of, among other things, uh, oh, The Obstacle yes. is the Way, right? Yep. And so Ryan uh, does actually practice stoicism, but he mostly uh, takes sort of stoic techniques to apply to his life or, or people's life in general as it would be, period. So, so uh, um, and, and in that sense, stoicism can be useful because it's a set of techniques, it's a set of uh, meditation approaches, it's a set of sort of mind tricks, if you will, um, that, uh, that can definitely be put to work uh, for uh, a better sort of more mindful life in, in, in order to pursue whatever it is that you wish to pursue. Yeah. Uh, however, if you're talking about the philosophy of Stoicism, then then the Stoics um, make a distinction between two things. So the most important thing in in life for a Stoic is moral integrity. It's it's its own character. So what's that? Um, so model, that moral integrity. Yes, moral moral integrity. So the the idea that your character, your your, your behavior, your ethical behavior is the most important thing that you have in your life. That uh, that the, the life worth living. Uh, for the Stoic is a life of moral integrity. 
Now, that said, of course, we don't just go around, you know, trying to be good people. We also want to do other things, right? I mean, we all have jobs and careers and families and uh, friends and all sorts of other stuff, right? Yeah. And for the Stoic, all of those uh, fall into a category that they uh, refer to with the deliciously oxymoronic phrase of preferred indifference. Now, how can something be preferred and indifferent at the same time? You know, typically, if you mm. prefer something, then you're not indifferent to it and vice versa, right? But what they meant was that uh, all of these other stuff, you know, career, relationships, friendships, all of that sort of stuff, they are preferred, meaning that your life is definitely going to be better with them than without them, right? So yeah. you're going to be better off with friends than without it. You're going to be better off with a, a good career than without it. You're going to be better off with health rather than being sick, education rather than being you know, ignorant, uh, uh, wealth rather than being poor, all that stuff, you're, it's certainly preferred. And there's nothing in stoicism that tells you that you shouldn't pursue it, mm. right? Mm. But, but there, is, there is a caveat, and that's where the indifference comes in. Uh, you should pursue all of those things so long as you do it in a way that it's ethically defensible, that it's ethically good, that it's, that it's, that it's a moral way. In other words, and that's because those things are indifferent to your moral character. That is, the fact that you're rich doesn't make you a better person. The fact that you are educated doesn't make you a better person. The fact that you, um, you know, have a house in the, in the Hamptons or something like that, that doesn't make you a better person. And in the same way, the fact that you may be poor or uneducated or you don't have a house in the Hamptons or anything like that, that doesn't make you a bad person. Uh, in other words, all of these other things, which, you know, the, the external things in life uh, are not actually, uh, they, they actually have nothing to do with your moral character. Um, so the idea is that by all means, go ahead and, and pursue the preferred stuff, you know, pursue your career, your relations, your, uh, you know, your wealth, etc. so long as you don't do it in, uh, in a way that compromises you. As, a, as an individual, as a, as a human being, as a, in terms of sort of, sort of uh, in, in, from, a, from a moral perspective. Okay, right? so from an ethical, moral perspective, but certainly when we talk about, you know, model integrity, is that in relation to our own, you know, living aligned with our own sort of values uh, and that, that piece of integrity, or is that more of a, a world view, a larger world view? No, it's more of a, it's more of a world view. So the idea is that, um, uh, let's say that you want to, pursue your career and, you know, let, let's talk about my case. And so I'm, I'm an academic. So academic careers uh, tend to be fairly competitive, actually. I mean, despite the fact that we have tenure, which is something that most of the rest of the world doesn't understand, uh, an academic career is actually fairly competitive, meaning that it takes a number of years to get into any position. Once you are into that position, if you don't keep publishing and, you know, and, and writing on a regular basis, you know, you're not going to advance and so on and so forth. So we have similar problems that, that are characteristic of pretty much any uh, career in which you wish to advance. Now, the stoic idea would be that it's fine to do anything you can uh, uh, or you feel like doing in order to pursue you know, a betterment of your career, so long as you don't do it by cheating, so long as you don't do it by you know, throwing mud on other people, or so long as you don't do it by uh, prevaricating people that actually are, have a better uh, you know, better shot or a better, uh, they're better positioned than yourself, and so on and so forth. So, so, so long as you play by ethical rules, as you do things in the right way, then you can pursue whatever the hell you want for whatever reason you want it. Okay. 
And I like that. I mean, that, that makes a lot of sense. So the and and I think it's 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 perhaps a, a big part of the issue with the modern day. Uh, well, maybe it's always been a big part of the issue, but uh, a lot of those <laughs> yes, a lot of those preferred things have often driven a lot of people off in in uh, unethical tangents and even even yes. on a on a relatively unnoticeable scale too. And and I could just certainly think about my life and how certain motivations behind what I do. Um, perhaps don't have that level of integrity behind it and it's only an awareness that I could probably be able to see that but uh, a lot of people are unaware of that and perhaps think that maybe their actions are okay and ethical and and don't see the the crossover or interrelation there. Yeah, that's right. So there's, uh, you know, when, when, when we talk about doing the right thing or doing the ethical thing, people th- typically think about the big stuff, right? You know, how, how would you behave? How would you have behaved if you were under a Nazi regime or something like that, right? Would you have hidden the, the Jews in your in your apartment at the cost of your life? Those are the big ethical issues. But in fact, life is full of ethical issues. Uh, and most of them are pretty small. Most of them are pretty local. So, you know, I had a friend of mine, for instance, uh, recently who told me without thinking about it twice that um, she had helped he, her son sort of cheat basically in an exam, uh, getting out of high, you know, it's, this, this was a final exam for a high school graduation. Yep. And, and she was saying it as if this was, uh, you know, sort of a normal thing to do. And it's like, well, of course, it's my son, so I'm going to help him. And, it's, and I, I, I was very perplexed by this. It's like, wait. Uh, you don't think that, uh, you know, if you would have been pissed off if other people uh, and actually helped their son that way and, and therefore making it more difficult for your son to succeed? I mean, that's that seems like a pretty obvious uh, retort. Right. But most people just don't think about it. This, this person that I mentioned is a perfectly good person. You know, is, she, she normally is a perfectly fine uh, person who is mindful of a bunch of other things. But in this case, she had a blind spot. And uh, and I think that one of the things that Stoics are doing is precisely to work on those kind of blind spots. That's what, what it's called mindfulness in Stoic practice. Mindfulness just means to pay attention to what you're doing in the here and now, mm. always, especially to the ethical dimension of what you're doing. And once you start paying attention to it, the ethical dimensions are everywhere. Uh, the way you behave with your colleagues uh, has to do with ethics. The way you behave with your friends has to do with ethics. Uh, the way you treat your children has to do with ethics. The way, you know, whether you pay your taxes or not, obviously, has to do with ethics. Um, the way you shop for, for food has to do with ethics because your food obviously comes from certain places and maybe there were, uh, you know, issues with, with uh, labor laws or, or treatment of animals or anything like that. Uh, the way your bank has ethical concerns because your bank maybe is very likely it's a sort of a part of a multinational conglomerate who does things that are somewhat nefarious at an international level. And so in fact, you're helping them in doing so by banking with them. So everything yeah. has an ethical dimension. There's just no, there's no area really of our lives. Now, that doesn't mean that all of a sudden you should sort of feel paralyzed and, and, and say, oh my God, you know, everything is, I can't, I can't really improve on all those things, and therefore I might, might as well give up. Well, the idea what is controlling what you can't as well. Exactly, exactly, pr- precisely. So the idea is, well, why don't you start slow and, and small and local, right? So to give you an example that I talk about in my in my book, um, you know, how to be a stoic. The, 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 at one point, I was uh, early on in my practice. I just got out of my apartment in New York and across the street, and I walked into my bank which is something that I, you know, did on a, you know, do on a regular basis. Yeah. And then as soon as I got out of the bank with my, you know, little money in, in, in my hands, my pockets, I said, oh, crap. <laughs> and I realized that, sure enough, 
I was banking, in fact, with one of these large, you know, multinational conglomerates who have very recently been in the news at that point for, you know, seriously bad practices, both in terms of labor and, and, and otherwise. And so I basically pivoted. I turned around and went back into the bank and I said, OK, I, I talked to this person, you know, to, to this guy who was assisting me. And I said, I need to close my account. And the guy said, well, this is not a problem. Um, may, may, may I ask you why? Is, you know, is there something about our services or our products that is not right? And I said, uh, no, actually, your services are probably a little better than the ones of the bank that I'm going to bring my money to. And, uh, and so at that point, he kind of looked at me with a puzzled look. It's like, okay, so, so, so why are you doing that? <laughs> Uh, and so I explained to him, I said, well, look, uh, you know, I understand that no bank is perfect, no no large operation is perfect, but you guys are actually one of the worst offenders in terms, I said, no, you personally, but, you know, at the level, at a corporate level, you guys are some of the worst offenders recently, and so I'd rather bring my money uh, to a place that uh, may be less convenient, but it's not as much of an offender, uh-huh. uh, in, at least in my in my evaluation. And and so I did, and, and that, you know, that took a few minutes, it's a little bit more inconvenient, because now I have to walk a little bit longer longer to get to my bank but you know it's it's one small thing and uh, the idea as Seneca uh, famously said at one point he was one of the famous um, you know pro- most prominent stoic philosophers he said you know I, the goal is here is not to become perfect it's just to become better than yesterday yeah yeah well I think that's that's the goal of life isn't it just to yeah continually exactly. make those improvements in your life in, in however best way you can exactly um, in fact the stoics didn't didn't call themselves really stoic uh, mm-hmm. Most of the time, they call themselves. They use the uh, a Greek word, which is uh, prokopton, and prokopton just means the one who makes progress. Oh, okay, yeah. There you go, and that's uh, certainly the journey I've been on for the last several years. I, I felt like I wasn't doing much in in the relation of progress, uh, you know, in, in my personal character in life, and uh, that's because I just found myself walking down paths that sort of were unrelated to to these sort of inner values of of my own. Um, and so for that, I wasn't taking actions that were helping me, you know, progress and improve. And certainly around around those debates of, you know, being more ethical, um, certainly I found that that a problem. And and as I've become more aware of that, I've I've certainly managed to change my behaviours in a lot of ways, which has been better for my overall uh, state of of well being, you know, happiness and and meaning. Um, exactly. Which is quite interesting. But on on that on that note of you know ethical decisions. Uh, a couple of questions come to mind, and perhaps um, we can we can venture off down this this track. But how do we decide on on what is you know the right decision and what is not you know based around ethics? You know, because for me, what seems ethical may be totally different for you. Um, right. So how do we how do we make those decisions? And also, um, how do we discern between what is ethical for myself as an individual as to what is ethical as the whole? Um, right. and make decisions around that because often you know there there are our own values that we should probably act, act uh, ethically towards but they can they they will obviously be different from others as well um, but there's yeah. there's no doubt some universal universal um, uh, ethical moral sort of uh, decisions we should be making there day to day as well right yeah those are those are excellent questions uh, the, there isn't going to be any simple answer to that of course because yeah. um, as you say <clears throat> ethics is complicated and it does vary. To some extent, it does vary from 
culture to culture, although there are actually a number of, of ethical universals uh, that seem to hold across human cultures, like, for instance, some, some obvious ones, which is uh, no human culture allows the random killing of its members. Right? So random murder, it's not, it's not something that is allowed by any uh, 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 human culture and for obvious reasons because that, you know, that, that would make it very difficult to maintain actually a society. So, so there are some universals and then there are a bunch of local things uh, that vary from, from place to place. Yeah. Now, the way the Stoics went about it, uh, I thought it's, it's interesting. Instead of coming up with a list of, of do's and don'ts, basically, <laughs> which um, in moral philosophy it's called uh, deontology. So a deontological system of ethics is a system that relies on rules. Uh, you know, the most obvious uh, deontological system is the Ten Commandments, right? The Christian Ten Commandments. Right. Uh, so do this, don't do that. Yeah. Right? Usually it's don't do this, don't do that. But um, Now, the, the problem with deontological systems is that, that um, uh, first of all, too often there are reasonable exceptions to rules. So, for instance, uh, just as a general idea, it's it's unethical to lie, okay, to other people because, yeah. of course, if if every if everybody went lying around all the time, then we just would have a collapse of society. You couldn't trust anybody. But at the same time, there are situations where where very clearly not only it is allowed to lie, but in fact that's the ethical thing to do. The obvious example is. To go back to Nazi Germany, uh, you know, if you are in fact uh, hiding a Jew in your basement, and the Nazi officer comes to your door and yeah. says, you know, are you hiding a, a Jew in the basement? You're going to say no. Yeah. <laughs> You're going to lie, right? Yeah. The ethical thing to do is, is to lie. So the the problem with the ontological systems is that number one, you have to typically you have to specify way too many uh, rules. Uh, people don't realize actually that the, that the Old Testament doesn't have just ten commandments; it has actually like more than a hundred. Uh, the ten that we are familiar with are just the big ones, but there's a bunch of other stuff. And you know, if you have hundreds of rules by which to go and live your life, that just becomes too complicated, I and mean, it's just, you know, it's not it's not very practical. Well, the, and also, the, the, the just, guy, the, uh, J, AJ Jacobs, I think it is. He's just written that book yeah, about um, yeah. living by the the rules. Yeah, exactly. It's just you know there there are just too many rules, and also as I said, rules tend to be inflexible, and life is just too complicated for for inflexibility. So the Stoics went about it in a different way. They said, okay, look, uh, you figure out how to go about things in two ways. Um, one by confronting your ideas uh, with those of other people who you think are doing more or less the right thing. So this is the sort of a ethical equivalent of peer review in science, right? So in science, how do we know that a good scientific, that a scientific paper is a good one? Well, we don't know for sure. Um, but what we do is we give it to read it to a bunch of other scientists, and, and they'll give us their opinion. And then and, and overall, you say, okay, this, this seems like it's a good thing, uh, and let's proceed and, pu and publish it. The same way, so the, the Stoics had this kind of a peer review system, basically. They confronted themselves with other people and, uh, and engaged in the discussions about what's ethical and what's not. And they tried to change their, you know, to, uh, to adjust, essentially, their actions and their beliefs accordingly. That strikes me as a very good way of going about, especially in a uh, multicultural society like modern, most modern societies are, mm. uh, you know, precisely because of what you said, that, that, that we live in a, in a place where people have different ideas about what's right and what's wrong in any specific circumstance, then you just keep confronting yourself with other people. And sometimes you're going to have to disagree. 
you know, sometimes you're going to say, okay, I understand that's your opinion about this thing, but I'm going to behave in a different way because I don't, I'm not convinced by your reasoning. But the only way to, to sort of model improvement in that sense, the Stoics thought, uh, is by just continuous, uh, never-ending confrontation with others. Basically, you have a, a, a ongoing conversation with the rest, with, with everybody else in society about about ethical uh, precepts. So the other way you're doing sort of looked at like group contemplation, so talking about key yeah, issues or ethical that's right. issues uh, that's in a group right. exactly. setting. Okay. In a group setting, um, or even in a in a one on one. I mean, you can also do it with you know if you have a friend and you know uh, you go to a bar and and over a beer you say, look, I have this problem. How do you how would you go about it? Right. You know okay. what sort of what sort of yeah what sort of approach would you take about it? Finding some common uh, The other way that the Stoics um, approached thing uh, was interesting, and that was through the identification of role models. So what they thought was like. Um, uh, they, they said, imagine that you go through life with a really wise person just sitting on your shoulders and watching what you're doing mm. and, and try not to do anything that that wise person wouldn't do. Yeah. Uh, right. So Socrates, who was not a Stoic because he lived before the Stoics, but he was, but, but he was a big influence on the Stoics. Uh, Socrates said that he had a daemon, uh, which in Greek means a, 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 a demon, really, a, a sort of a... A banana demon in the se- in negative sense of the term. It's just like a spirit that uh, that he that sp- spoke in his in his ears and basically told him, Joe, don't do that," and and he wouldn't do it. We w- we will call, of course, that today a conscience, right? Um, but the idea is that if you pick a role model or more than one role model, what you're doing is um, you're you're trying to pattern your behavior. You're trying to pattern your character on the character of somebody that is, in fact, fundamentally a good person, that, that doesn't have to be perfect, but he's fundamentally a good person. And in so doing, you, you improve yourself. So if, you know, other, other uh, philosophies and religions do something like that. I mean, when modern Christians, for instance, go around with little bracelets that say WWJD, right, what would Jesus do? Um, basically, they're doing the same thing. It's the same kind of exercise, right? You, you keep thinking about, okay, uh, am I, I'm doing something. Would Jesus approve of this thing? Right. And, uh, right, so in the, Sto- in the case of the Stoics, of course, they wouldn't call Jesus, but they would say, you know, so w- what would Socrates do? Or uh, what would, uh, if you want to pick a, a modern uh, example, what would Nelson Mandela do under similar conditions? Or what would Gandhi do under similar conditions? You, you pick somebody that you admire. You pick somebody that you think it's a good person and you sort of do this mental exercise. Does it need to be of, one or I mean, could you have the number? No, of... it can be more than one. That's yeah. right. It can be more than one, hmm. uh, depending on the circumstances. Uh, it may be that some people are more, uh, you know, some role models are, are better for certain circumstances uh, rather than, uh, than others. It turns out there is actually fairly good empirical evidence that this stuff works. Uh, psychologists, modern psychologists have shown that if people are reminded before engaging into any action, if people are reminded that... Um, there may be somebody watching over them, including an imaginary somebody, you know, somebody to just imagine. They actually tend to behave better. Yeah they, yeah. they yeah, they actually tend to do the right thing, right? It's it's a simple way, it's a it's a mind trick, if you will. Uh, and a lot of stoicism is in fact a mind trick in, in that sense. Uh, it, but I don't mean that in a disparaging way, of course, because mind tricks are important. I mean mind tricks are really the way we navigate life. Uh, the way we represent uh, ourselves. Uh, in the world and and the way we represent 
the world to ourselves is a mind trick. It's it's well, the reality it's is, a, is 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 determiner. Um, yeah, the mind is a determiner of the reality, isn't it? Really. In a, in, a, in a very good sense, yes. Not in a magical sense, not in the sense that if I all of a sudden want a, a nice meal, I can just think about it and then the nice meal appears. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but in the sense that how I think about things does alter my attitude and therefore it guides my behavior, right? Um, so a typical example from Stoic uh, uh, so literature is, is what happens when somebody insults you, right? Uh, the Stoics thought that insult is to be insulted is basically impossible um, because you have to let the insult go through in order to feel insulted. It's up to you. The person is just speaking words. Yeah. And he may have the intention of insulting you, but that's his problem. That's his business. Uh, if you don't react, if you don't let it get through your defenses, uh, then the insult falls flat. Um, Epictetus, the, the slave-turned-teacher uh, that I mentioned earlier, said uh, as an exercise to his uh, students, they say, said, uh, why, why don't you go out, pick a stone, and then insult it? See how that feels. Hmm. Uh, and of course, you, you feel like an idiot if you insult a stone. <laughs> well, why, why, why do you feel like an idiot? Because the stone is not responding, right? It's not reacting. And so if you try that with a natural human being, you know, the next time that somebody uh, says something awful to you, just walk by and just, just, just keep walking. Don't stop. See how that feels. Uh, because that person will be stunned because he, he's not going to know what what he won't, he to won't do have that reaction that he was looking for. Yeah, it, because, that's right. It, it, the whole point of insulting somebody is because you want a reaction. If the person doesn't react, doesn't let it get through his defenses, then the insult falls completely flat. Hmm. So that's the stage one. Stage two, if you're a little bit more advanced, is to use self-deprecating uh, humor. Uh, so Epictetus also does that um, uh, when one of his students is asking him a question. He says, uh, you know, apparently one of his students uh, said something like, uh, well, uh, you know, so-and-so said such bad things about you. And, you know, what do you think? And Epictetus says, oh, well, he doesn't know half of it. If he really knew me well, he could say a lot more, you know, a lot worse things. And, and so that's sort of a, again, no, it's not, a, not attaching to that, that negative sort of intention of, of that message. Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 again it's a, it's a self-deprecating way of saying basically I don't care I don't I don't uh -huh. it doesn't touch me it's uh, it's fine you can say whatever you want that's none of my business I I control what I how I react and how I think about things I don't have any control of how other people think about stuff if he wants to think that way that's his business not mine. Hmm. And I think I mean that's that's. I know you talked about it. You've got a video on your website, on one of your websites there. Um, who was it? Victor Frankl and about his life in the prison system, but really about yes. how how we, you know, attach ourselves to a lot of the suffering in our lives. And I don't know if that's the correct wording for what I'm trying to explain, but um, really it comes down to that, you know, how we allow things affect us in our life um, really portrays the kind of state of being that we that we live within. Uh, and certainly, That's right. you know, again, in personal experience, I know I can relate and probably a lot of people out there listening can, um, you yourself might Massimo, but, um, certainly a lot of my past and, and all the drama and suffering and pain and displeasure that I had in my life was really nothing more than just my, my perspectives on it all and my attachment to yes. those perspectives. Um, That's exactly right. I mean, uh, you know, Epictetus is probably no sense that people are not affected by events, they're affected by the way they think about events. Um, and this is not to trivialize problems because, you know, there are 
serious issues in life, uh, you know, that, that, that we have to deal with. But the way you approach issues in life does make a difference. Yeah. Um, you know, Epictetus says, uh, to start with, uh, uh, sort of, he makes a, a practical suggestion of sort of exercising uh, what the Buddhists would, would call non-attachment, right? So th- th- this idea is not just Stoic. It's a lot of different philosophical traditions have a similar idea. In Buddhism, this is called non-attachment. Mm-hmm. The idea that you should, one way to reduce or eliminate suffering is to not attach to yourself, uh, to things and even people. That's not to say that you shouldn't care. It's just that what, what that, there's a, there's a, this is a subtle but important difference. So if you, if you forgive me for a second if I sort of insist on this because this is one of those misconceptions, serious misconceptions about Stoicism. When you hear things like non-attachment, you know, detachment and all that, it's like, oh, so you mean that I shouldn't care? No, that's not what I mean. What I mean is, is that you should care, but you should not let that care overwhelm the way you think about things. So let's say, let me give you a particular example from my own personal experience, right? Mm. So um, two or three years ago, my, my mother died of cancer. Yeah. And, um, you know, uh, this is not a good thing. <laughs> this, is, this is definitely not a good thing, right? Uh, it, this, this is um, something that causes suffering. This is something that causes pain. This is something that causes, uh, you know, so grief. But um, by the time that happened, I was already practicing stoicism. And so I approached her death in a very different way from the way I experienced the death of my father 10 years earlier yeah. when I was not, in fact, practicing so what was the difference? Well, the difference is that when my mother was sick, first of all, I knew what was going to happen. I, I was mindful of what was going to happen. And I kept repeating to myself, well, you know, losing your parents is something that is pretty much guaranteed to happen. Either you lose them or, or you die younger. So this is a fact of life. And it's not a pleasant fact of life, for sure. But it is a fact of life. It's, yeah. This is just the way the universe works. And therefore, you need to accept it in this way. Now, once you accept it, does that mean you don't care? No, on the contrary. It means that because you accept it and you internalize it, then you're going to make the the mindful, active, proactive decision of spending every minute you can with that person before that happens and, and enjoying every minute you have with that person before it happens. So the flip side of the coin of non-attachment is it's not that you don't care about something that's happening. It's on the contrary. Is that you actually manage to enjoy um, whatever the experience is, either of an object or of a person, uh, more precisely because you are, you're perfectly mindful that this is not going to last forever. Mm, mm. And, and so that you, you need to do it right now. Uh, it's happening right now, and that's why you need to pay attention now because you're not going to have makes it forever. you more purposeful in, in, in that awareness. Exactly. And, you know, so, so again, Epictetus says, you know, certain things are in season and then, then, then are out of season, right? Mm. And he says, and if you want things that are out of season, if you want a fig, he uses the example of a, of a fruit. But if you want a fig out of season, you're just a fool. But at the same time, because there's no such thing as a fig out of season. But at the same time, when you do have the things, don't take them for granted. Enjoy them because, because you know they're going to go. Uh, everything that you have, people as well as, you know, relations, as well as objects and things. Everything is unknown from the universe, as the Stoics say. And the universe is going to recall that loan at any time for any reason. That's not up to you. 
right? Mm. And so what is up to you is to enjoy uh, those things or those relations or those people while, in fact, they're there. And, and I find this a very empowering philosophy. And again, and, in an ethical manner. That's right, of course, and so always in an ethical manner. Hmm. Um, and once they're gone, you don't regret it, you just accept it with equanimity, with a sense of equanimity. And you say, oh, uh, for instance, Seneca uh, wrote a number of letters of consolation to friends who had lost a, either a child, you know, a son or, 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 a, or a brother. And uh, the way Seneca says to deal with that is, on the one hand, yes, you accept it because, you know, it, it happened. And, you know, what are you going to do? You, 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 this, you cannot undo it. Uh, and therefore, you, need, you absolutely need to accept it because otherwise you're not going to move on. You're going to start indulging in your own grief. You're gonna, you know, your life is going to go down to pieces because, uh, uh, because you, don't, you cannot accept something that you can no longer change. But part of that ac- acceptance, the positive part of it is like he says, uh, explicitly to his friends, like you know, so in, redirect your your mind instead of thinking about, oh, I wish that person were here. Think about the times where the person, in fact, was here. Hmm. Think about your memories. You know, the good stuff, the good time you had with that person. Celebrate it if you can. You know, write a poem about them, uh, or, 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 or write a, a, an essay about their lives, or write something, or do them. You know, do something that actually reminds you and other people of. The, the luck that you had in actually enjoying and being present when those people were there. So, so redire- again, this is a mind trick, right? It's redirecting your thoughts. Instead of dwelling on the absence, uh, redirect them toward the presence, the past presence. Yeah, well, it, it's again looking at the, the facts of the situation, things outside your control that you can't do much about. And um, yeah, I like that, that it's, it's not about not caring. It's just about being more purposeful i guess if it's the right word to use for the situation yes and i think if we think about life in that sense as well like the fact of life is that death is um common for all of us and that's going to happen and, and that really uh you know is something that i think about a lot and realize that well how am i going to use this time how am i going to make most of this time it's not that i don't care about my life and and sometimes that is a thought that i have is that perhaps i just don't care anymore and that's why i'm not career driven as much as i used to be you know um, but for me, it, it's really about, you know, just being more purposeful with the time that I have uh, in the best way. Yeah. I can. Yeah. I think actually you know, that, that sort of thing happened to me as well. Um, you know, early on in my life and in, in my career, I was, I, I was very much career driven and, uh, um, and that was the, that was probably the time to be that way because otherwise I wouldn't have succeeded in sort of becoming what I've become. But it's been a number of years now that uh, my my priorities have sort of reoriented. It's not that I don't care about my career, but it's that I care about other things. And I also care about, for instance, doing things uh, with a good quality rather than quantity. So, in, so I started caring less about what other people told me I should do for my career and, and focusing more on what I think is a good use of my time. After all, it is my time, not, not anybody else's time. Well, so, you know, still, still, you're still driven by a career, but more purposefully driven. Um, exactly. By going exactly. down career paths that perhaps, you know, are monetary um, influenced or whatever it might be, but um, going down paths that are, are more yeah. purposeful or meaningful to, to you as the individual that has more value. Exactly. Uh, perhaps to you itself and, and the whole. Uh, interesting stuff. I mean, there's a lot to unpack in, in what we've just talked about. Um, going towards your book, how. And I know we've talked about a lot of a lot of the principles behind Stoicism already, um, and it's it's such a um, broad topic. But how do we how do we be a Stoic? How do we use this philosophy to to harbour a better life and to to yeah. you know create a lifestyle that's more conducive to this modern world that we live in? 
That's an excellent question. Uh, that is why uh, the, the last chapter of the book actually has 12 specific exercises uh, that people can uh, use to practice. And uh, I can also so tell you a couple of things that I do on a regular basis that I think are particularly helpful. So uh, one of the things that I do is, is in the morning when I get up, I get my coffee, and then I, I do a um, meditation about the uh, the oncoming day. So what I do is I sit just for a few minutes and think about the possible challenges. You know, I have my schedule, so I know more or less what's going to happen. Of course, there's always uh, unpredictable things, but but about the stuff that you do know that it's likely to happen. Uh, so I, I try to be uh, carefully thinking about okay, so what might be the difficult parts of this day and how I'm going to go about it. Mm. It takes only a few minutes. Yeah. The advantage of that exercise is that you are prepared. Yeah, yeah. Right. Uh, and a prepared mind. This is pretty good. There's pretty good uh, evidence from basic psychology that a prepared mind is is better off at dealing with situations uh, than yeah. than a, you know than a mind that is not prepared. So so that's the first thing I do. Um, if I have some time, I also read uh, one or two uh, short passages from from the Stoics just to rem- and, and then I think about how they apply to my life. Um, that's part of my morning meditation, and that this this is simply something that a Buddhist would do or a Christian would do as well, right? You, you pick up the Gospels and you read a couple of uh, of uh, uh, sentences. That, that's not because you kind of, unlike uh, the case of the difference with a Christian is that in the case of the Christian, of course, he's reading the Word of God, and it's, it's more about worshiping than 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 meditating necessarily. In the case of a, of a uh, Stoic, it's you know nobody worships Epictetus or Seneca. Um, yeah, so but one, one are, is more obligatory when the other is, is yes, more Yes, exactly. Hmm. Exactly. And so, you, you know, you just reread some stuff that has struck you as interesting and you sort of uh, think about how it, it applies to your life. Right. Then throughout the day, I just try to be mindful in the way that we were discussing before. So, you know, anytime that I have an interaction with other people, uh, I try to think about sort of, well, is there an ethical dimension to this and how am I doing about this? Or I also practice this um, exercise that I uh, mentioned earlier, which we call, uh, sometimes we call the, the, the sage on the shoulder, right? This idea that you imagine uh, when you're about to do something or, or make a decision, you imagine that uh, uh, a, a wise person or a role model of some sort is, is looking over your shoulders and, and, and you'd say, okay, what, what would he do or what, what would she do? Mm. So that's a that's an exercise in again in mindfulness because that it forces you to pay attention to things. Now I like that too, um, and that, that's a common practice in, in a lot of you know, yeah. personal development um, fields. Yes, exactly, it is. That's right. Um, now in the evening, uh, my favorite exercise. Uh, also, that this one takes just a few minutes. It's not a it's not a big deal, um, and, but it's, I find it very useful. And this is the the evening meditation, uh, which for me takes the the form of a philosophical diary. So I sit down on, on my iPad and I write a few sentences about the, the day that just passed. So I, I go back over what I did during the day, you know, focusing, of course, on the, on the things that were important and, or, or difficult. Yeah. And I ask myself three questions, which are the questions that, that Seneca asks himself um, in a, uh, where, where he suggests to do this exercise. And the three questions are, uh, what did I do right? What did I do wrong? And what could I have done differently? Uh, right. So the first question is, what, what do you do right? Because you do want to acknowledge that you did some right things. It's patting yourself in the back. It's fine. Uh, uh, Stoicism is a very self-forgiving uh, philosophy. 
Yeah. Uh, in fact, it's a forgiving philosophy in general. Epictetus says that the beginning of wisdom uh, is uh, not to blame others, and and when you're really wise, you don't blame even yourself. So it's it's um, uh, it's an exercise in sort of uh, self self forgiveness, which brings me to the second question, which Compassion is what did I do well. wrong, mm-hmm. right? And and there the idea again is not to beat yourself up. Uh, it's simply to acknowledge that you are imperfect. You did something wrong. Uh, fine, you cannot change it. It's outside your control at this point because it's in the past, but you can learn from it. Yeah. You can make a mental note and say, okay, well, that was not a good thing, so let's try to avoid it the next time around. Which, of course, brings you to the third uh, question, which is what could I have done differently? You know, m- maybe something happened that I was not expecting and I did not react well, not because I didn't know better, but because I was caught unprepared. Because, you know, something happened and I reacted on the spur of the moment with, without reflection and, and I didn't do the right thing, right? But but now I can learn from that experience and I can say, okay, if something like that happens again in the future, and it very likely will because, you know, our lives are not as varied, as interesting as we would like to be or, or think they are, right? And then we, you, you pretty much do the same things almost every day. Uh, you interact with the same colleagues, you interact with the same people, you, you, know, you have similar situations every day. So you say, okay, well, next time that something like that is going to happen, this is how I'm going to do it instead of the way I've done it today. Hmm. And the point of that exercise is really to uh, sort of learn from your own experiences, forgive yourself, and as Seneca puts it, you know, you also go to bed uh, you know, more tranquil, more serene, because you basically talk to your conscience and, and you, you, you come to terms with your conscience and you say, okay, that's, that's, that's it. For today, I'm done. Uh, tomorrow is going to be another day and I'm going to try to do better. Right. So clear, cleared out the conscious, um, which probably exactly. allows you to sleep better. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, it's, it's interesting. And, and I assume, you know, this sort of practice, and again, you know, I want to encourage people to pick up your book. Uh, I haven't read your book yet either, so uh, I'm looking forward to having a read myself. But um, I assume that, you know this sort of a practice is is quite difficult for uh, anyone to to get started with if they if they're not familiar with it. And it's you know even around you know asking those questions of of what is what is right, what is wrong, what's ethical, um, and even talking with others about them and being open to different perspectives and opinions on on situations. It's very hard uh, for us to to navigate ourselves around that um, because we're, yeah, we're right. often very set in our ways, you know. Um, that's right. And we're very self-protective as well so we we don't want to yeah. uh, look at it and say oh, i should have done that better should have handled that better um yeah. it's certainly a reflection that i i think about a lot in my in my you know developing awareness is is just you know what have i done wrong there or, or how could i have better handled that situation and um importantly as i often do is beat myself up about it but just being more compassionate about that so i don't uh let it affect my future outcomes as well but um, yeah, it's yeah and, and yeah, it's it's interesting you you mentioned that because um, so some people tell me oh but you know practicing stoicism is is slow is is demanding and and my answer is well yeah but so is practicing any other philosophy or religion I mean it's if you want to be a Buddhist a good Buddhist <laughs> uh, that's demanding uh, if you want to be a good Christian that's demanding. Uh, and, and it's the same thing, you know, the Stoics were big into using analogies, and particularly one of their favorite analogies was between mental health and physical health, mm. right? And so in terms of physical health, I mean, you know, if you want to improve your, your aerobic capacities and your muscle tone and all that sort of stuff, you don't go to the gym once a month. No. You have to do it on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. Not only that, but once you go to the gym, you don't just go there and, and start you know, cycling without paying attention to what you're doing in a very low uh, friction rate and all that. No, you do it the right thing. You, you, you have to sweat. 
if you don't sweat, you're not doing anything, right? So it's difficult. Yes, of course. But that's why you, that's how you get the results. But that's, that's uh, life as well as a whole. Like, I mean, if we, yes, we, we look exactly. at our lives and go, geez, my life isn't really great and, you know, whatever. Uh, it, it's not as I desire. Um, but if you want to change that, it's, it's demanding. It takes practice. It takes action. It's, it takes, you know, um, that exactly. courage. Exactly. So when people say, oh, the stars are demanding, I say, well, you know, everything else is demanding, including life. And since we're talking about a philosophy of life, yes, of course, it's going to be demanding. But it's not overwhelming. I mean, you know, as I said, you can start little by little, you know, baby steps. Um, as long as you're doing, you're making progress, you're, you're good. And of course, that's why there are resources out there. I mean, as I said, the last chapter of my book has a, a number of exercises. My blog, howtobeastoic.org, has lots of articles about both the theory and the practice of, of stoicism. Uh, so th- there's plenty of resources and plenty of help. There is... Um, uh, a large number of online communities. Um, there is a, uh, a number of Facebook communities, the largest one of which has 28,000 uh, members, or I think actually almost 30,000 members at this point. Uh, and, you know, you can go there anytime and say, hey, I need help, I need, I need suggestions, you know, I have this problem, you know, what should I do, that sort of stuff. This is an incredible resource which is made available by modern technology. Mm. Um, and, uh, and, of course, there is a number of... Uh, physical in-person stoic communities. In, in, uh, in New York, there are two. Uh, I run one of them, and uh, my friend Greg uh, Lopez runs another one. Uh, and so if you are a stoic practitioner in New York, you have chances at least two times a month, and sometimes more, to just come in and, and meet other people that are trying to study and practice the same philosophy. And, and one of the things that is useful, of course, about doing that is, you know, reinforcement. And it's, it's about, it's, it's almost like going to church. Yeah, right. Yeah. Why, why do people go to church? I mean, there is a social aspect, of course. Um, there is the the aspect of reinforcing of you know precepts and and teachings, right? That's why you you listen to your preacher or you to your priest, uh, reading from scriptures. And then there is also the reinforcement of your own faith, or in this case, in the case of Stoicism, your own philosophy, by simply talking to other people that are doing it and interacting with them and and exchanging, you know, sort of ideas about oh, so I got into this kind of you know, problem and how did you deal with something like that or how would you deal with something like that? So it's, it's, a, it's a very social kind of activity and it can be done both in person and online. So what would you say to someone that sort of uh, is, is looking at this as an option but sort of would ask you to just say, look, I don't really have the time. Uh, you know, it's, it seems like something else that I have to take on board and try and fit into my already you know, busy life. Yeah, I, I'd say that's an excuse. <laughs> every, every, time, every time somebody tells me um, I, I don't have the time to do that, I, uh, I think that's code for I'm not interested enough uh, in, in, like in, in order like, to do right. that. Yeah, exactly. Right. So, I mean, it's a question of priorities. Look, we're talking about, so Epictetus uh, has a really interesting phrase there. At some point, apparently, one of his students told him something like that, right? He says, you know, uh, something like, well, maybe I'll, maybe I'll start tomorrow or something, or maybe I'll start next week, right? And, uh, and Epictetus says, no, man, the Olympic Games have already started. You're already behind. <laughs> it's like, uh, this, the, the time to act is now. Why, why do you want to do it tomorrow or next week? Your life is right now. So yeah. if you've arrived at the determination that you want to improve your life, that you want to do better, uh, that you want to learn techniques and sort of embrace a, a philosophy that allows you to do better, then this is the time. And as I said, it, uh, at a minimum, now. it only... Mm. Yeah, no better time than now, exactly. And in a minimum, the, the time that is required is just a few minutes a day. Yeah. 
that's that's hardly something that then one cannot deal with. And um, I think it'll the actually thing, it'll give you back more time in in the you know not yes. maybe not immediately initially, but it certainly will over time. It does. That you're you're absolutely right. I mean, one of the reasons. So my friend uh, Bill Irvine, who is also a modern Stoic, who wrote a couple of books on Stoicism, uh, one of the things he says is that the advantage of adopting a philosophy of life, whether it is Stoicism or Buddhism or something else, is precisely that it actually does save you a lot of time because it helps you prioritize things. All of a sudden, you have a framework that you uh, can apply everywhere, and every time you're you're faced with making a decisions or, or, or setting up priorities, uh, your philosophy informs those priorities and informs mm. those decisions, and mm. it makes them much more efficient. Um, Seneca says, uh, you know, wrote an entire uh, uh, essay on, on time, and he says, you know, the time is the most precious commodity we have, and, and, and that's why you need to be mindful about how to use it, because you don't know how much you have available. You know how much money you have in the bank, and, and you, you know whether you can afford the particular mortgage or whether you can afford to give a loan to somebody or something. Uh, those, those are known quantities. The quantity you don't know about is how much time you have. Hmm. You may have another, you know, several decades or you may have several days. Yeah. You, you have no idea. Yeah. Right? And, and so you better get on it now. <laughs> yeah. That's that's because you don't have any any, any time to waste. Stop le- letting yourself make those excuses and accepting those excuses. I think, and and certainly, I mean, you touched on a point before. Like, if you if you you know there's some part of your life you want to make change in, and, and you're here listening to this or whatever you're doing in life, stop teasing yourself and and you know start to take the action and start you know as you said, it starts small and and grow up from there. But um, otherwise, you you are just wasting time by you know sticking around and and hoping that something will just fall into your lap and, and make that change for you. Exactly. That's exactly right. Look, cool stuff. There's a lot of questions I could ask you there, and we could probably go on for days. I want to ask you a few more questions just to wrap things up here, Massimo. Okay. Uh, to let you go. Uh, and the first one is, we've sort of touched on it already, rituals and routines, so we might just uh, go past that one. You've certainly mentioned a few of your daily rituals and routines. Um, right. What advice would you, have you would you have given your 20-year-old self? Ah, <laughs> uh, that's a good question. Um, I basically would have advised myself to pick up stoicism a little earlier, <laughs> not not wait, you know, two or three decades before doing that. And and um, which actually, uh, it's interesting because I came close to it uh, because I was, um, you know, I grew up in Italy, uh, in Rome, where you do study stoicism actually in in both history and philosophy classes. So I was exposed to it, but it just didn't click immediately in, the, in that way. Yep. And uh, when I was in high school, uh, I left uh, religion, I left Catholicism, and I was looking for an alternative, and that would have been a good time. Hmm. Uh, instead, I ended up um, sort of embracing secular humanism, which is a, a good enough philosophy. I, it served me well for, for a good time, in my, a good chunk of my life. But uh, yeah, I would have uh, basically told my, my earlier self to sort of maybe do some some studying, some reading, and, and pick a, a good philosophy of life and then use it as, as your guide uh, for the rest of your life. Mm, yeah, okay, great, good advice. And what uh, is your meaning of success? Uh, having a life that I'm actually uh, happy about, that when I get to the, to, the, to the end of it, I look back and I say, you know, that was actually worth doing. That to me is success, regardless of how other people measure it, regardless of how uh, uh, it is measured in terms of sort of material success or not, um, or, or career success or not, is if I uh, am uh, content of the kind of stuff that I've done and I thought that was the time well spent on, on, on planet Earth, then that's that success. 
yeah, really, really good advice. Something I think about often is how, how well am I living life today? Um, okay, good question. What's, what's a, a piece of advice you might give someone looking to make some change? Uh, read the meditations by Marcus Aurelius. <laughs> <laughs> um, because, you know, I could say, of course, read my book, but that would be a little too self-congratulatory. Um, I think the Meditations is one of those rare books. There are, there are others, of course, out there, but it is one of those rare books that really does have a potential to change your life. Okay. And it's it's short, um, um, and it's uh, there's a number of very good translations out there um, available. Yep. And uh, I think if, if anybody that I know of that has read it, and that uh, that includes actually a lot of people because that book has been in print since the uh, the invention of the printing press, mm -hmm. uh, that it has definitely had an impact on their lives. Good one. And what is your favorite food? I can be very specific about that. My favorite food is rigatoni pasta with uh, seafood um, uh, sort of medley that I cook myself at home. Oh, nice. Sounds good. I'm coming over. <laughs> and do you have a favorite leisure activity? Um, favorite leisure activity? I, I would have to say that my favorite leisure activity is, in fact, to read. Um, but but uh, also going for for walks or short hikes is actually a good um, it, it's a, it's a good way to spend my time. But mostly it would have to be just I, I read and I don't read of course only philosophy or science. I, I, I read um, I try to read as widely as possible. It is my time to I think of it as a converse, ongoing conversation with with some of the best minds that humanity has produced. So anytime you read a good book, uh, either either uh, fiction or or not. Uh, you are actually conversing, in a sense, with you know some of some of the best and most interesting minds that the humanity has produced over the last several thousand years. Yeah, yeah, cool. And do you have a favorite book? Oh, that's a tough question. No, mm -hmm. I don't really have a, a favorite book. Maybe There's a recent so many. one you've read that you'd like to recommend. A uh, recent one that I read. Uh, yeah, I can probably answer that question. Let me see my Kindle here. <laughs> right? Oh, yeah. Uh, there is uh, something called, uh, a book called The Edge of Reason uh, by Julian Bagini. And uh, Julian is uh, he's a uh, freelance philosopher. He's, he's one of those people who actually make a living out of just writing philosophy. And The Edge of Reason is a really, really good uh, uh, book about what it means to be reasonable and 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 it's very surprising because uh, Julian goes through a really interesting analysis of uh, why people uh, misunderstand what it means to be reasonable why people uh, sort of are uh, perhaps rejecting the, the whole idea of reason uh, and going for sort of your gut feelings or something like that it's a really well-written book and it's uh, thought-provoking and it's one of the things that I read recently Okay, well, I'll stick that in the show notes, guys. So I haven't, uh, <laughs> I have heard of it, but I haven't read it. So I will um, check it out for myself, and I'll put your uh, book in there as well, Massimo, How to Be a Stoic. So Thank guys, you. check it out at hiddenwide.com and use the links there. That helps support the show. Uh, Massimo, do you have a favorite quote? Uh, some things are up to you; other things are not up to you. And that's from uh, the beginning of the handbook by Epictetus. Okay, I like that. And uh, how can best how can people best reach you? I know you've got a number of um, uh, different blogs and, and things you're working on. So, what's the best way? Yeah, my my blog. Uh, I have two blogs: howtobeastoic.org and uh, platofootnote.org. 
Uh, the first one is about stoicism, obviously, and the second one is sort of general philosophy and science. And I'm also on Twitter at uh, M-P-I-G-L-I-U-C-C-I. Okay. I'll stick all those links in the show notes as well. Mate, it's been a uh, fantastic conversation. I really appreciate it. Hey, it's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Guys, check it all out at thehiddenwire.com. Until next time, peace, passion, and purpose. See you soon. Thanks, guys, for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed what you heard. I hope you love what you're hearing. If you like this episode, guys, or any of the episodes that you're listening to here at The Hidden Why, please do me a favor by sharing it. You can share it with your families. You can share it with your loved ones. You can do that by using your favorite social media channels using the icons on the platform that you're listening to The Hidden Why podcast. Also, guys, if you're a fan of the show, please connect with me. Connect with me at thehiddenwide.com. I love to hear from you. I love to converse with the people that listen to this show to find out what they enjoy, what they don't enjoy, and perhaps if they have any questions or feedback for the show as well. You can stay up to date with all that I'm releasing here, guys. I do a solo show every Monday, a three-minute thought every Thursday. I do two interviews a week on a Wednesday and a Saturday, and a book review every Friday. You can stay up to date with all that by subscribing to my newsletter at thehiddenwire.com. Just enter your email address there, and also subscribing to the podcast on the platform that you choose to listen to your podcast. You can also support the show, guys, by using the Amazon links at thehiddenwire.com. So if you like books, you can get all the books that I review there um, and anything else, really, that you like to purchase through Amazon. So use that link. It helps support the show. And we've also got a deal with Audible, guys. Audible is a fantastic way to listen to all your favorite books. We've got a deal with them so you can get two free books when you subscribe or, yeah, subscribe to a 30-day free trial. So check that out, again, at thehiddenwire.com. Guys, that's it from me. You know what to do. Go out there. Breathe more passion into every single moment. Do everything with greater purpose and in doing so you will discover your hidden why this is the hidden why my name is Lee Manutzi until next time peace passion and purpose see you soon